The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Rob Wolf, and welcome to episode number 39 of Unformidable, where we take a look at some of the less heralded myths in our beloved franchise's quirky history, because to us, every player who dons the orange and blue is, in their own way, unformidable. But we have a season, for now at least, maybe, and I know, I guess the DH, the Universal DH is kind of old news, and the DH itself in the National League is somewhat old news, I mean... The Mets have had to implement one dating back to Danny Heap, and have been forced to occasionally strategically implement it in interleague games since circa 1997. Not so strategically implemented at other times, such as starting Yo in center, Conforto in left, and Kelly Johnson at DH instead of Lagares, Sess, and Conforto at DH in Game 1 of the 2015 World Series, which irritated me then, as did Piazza at DH and not Andy Pettit killer Bubba Trammell in Game 1 of 2000, or Lenny Harris in Game 2, uh, but I digress. Uh, those, those things bugged me at the time, still bug me, but those are my issues to work out, and that's not what you're here for. At any rate, even if this season winds up dying before it truly gets going, I fear it might be the end of an era, because it feels like the 
potential beginning of the implementation of the universal DH. And if you know me, or a fan of the pod, or heck, you're listening, you're a fan of the Mets, National League Baseball, right? In which case, you're hopefully with me in lamenting this potential development, as the Mets in particular have been the beneficiaries of some notable pitcher-hitting exploits. There's Steven Matz's debut, Noah Syndergaard's two-homer game against the Dodgers, his one nothing Little League shutout of the Reds last year. I also seem to recall another pitcher-hitting moment with someone older, perhaps less in shape than your traditional athlete, that proved a memorable moment in baseball lore. Uh, but that excellence, or excellence might be a strong term, that occasional flash of brilliance isn't limited to the recent past. Met pitchers have had some notable at-bats or games with the bat over the years, and perhaps the most memorable was turned in by someone who was a serviceable pitcher in his own right, but who is best known as a Met either for his role in two Met trades, uh, the unfortunately rare Met trades that both turned out incredibly well for our beloved franchise, uh, and also for his singular exploits with the bat one day, even more so than his great pitching that day, and that being the unformidable Walt Terrell. Charles Walter Terrell was born on May 11th, 1958, in Jeffersonville, Indiana. He attended Moorhead State in Kentucky, where, of course, he pitched, uh, but he truly started to make a name for himself as a possible MLB prospect in 1979 in the Cape Cod League, where he earned the league's Outstanding Pitcher Award, 9-4 and four, with a 2.20 ERA that year in the Cape Cod League, throwing 13 complete games in 17 starts. In fact, as a side note, uh, Terrell was named to the Cape Cod League Hall of Fame in 2003, and the Mets clearly had an eye on Terrell. They actually drafted him in 1979 in the 15th round of the draft, but he had another year of college eligibility left and they didn't sign him. I don't know if he struggled or had injury issues. I couldn't really find any detail on that, but in 1980, he lasted until the 33rd round of the draft when he was drafted by the Texas Rangers and entered their organization, but clearly the Mets did not forget him. Terrell pitched in the Rangers organization in 1980 and 1981. He was pretty solid in AA Tulsa for the Rangers in 1981, where the 23-year-old Terrell outpitched his teammate, a more ballyhooed 20-year-old first-round draft choice named Ron Darling. Uh, but neither of those two young AA pitchers would make the majors with make their major league debut at the Texas Rangers, as prior to the 1982 season, the Mets parlayed their matinee idol, New York native Lee Mazzilli, coming off a struggling uh, rough season, but still only 26, into the two young pitching prospects as both Terrell and Darling came to the Mets for Lee Mazzilli. Later in that summer of 1982, the Mets would draft a young man named Dwight Gooden, a year later, uh, they traded for a young pitcher named Sid Fernandez, and before you knew it, the bones of an incredibly exciting young rotation were developing. 
Of course, Terrell wouldn't quite make it to that World Series squad. He'd be in another memorable trade prior to the 1985 season, but he did have himself a few Met moments along the way, some decent performances on the mound, and as we'll soon get to, an extraordinary one with the bat. More advanced, you know, clear, clearly because of his age than Darling, uh, Terrell was solid, but um, not really pretty unspectacular in AAA in 1982, uh, presaging the workmanlike mid-rotation pitcher he would top out as, but he did earn a September call-up in 1982 to a pretty putrid Met squad. And uh, speaking of things that maybe that are a thing of the past in baseball, uh, September call-ups, uh, perhaps uh, well soon as Halcyon and forgotten as pitchers batting, I guess. Although that's a more welcome development, of course. But at any rate, Walt Terrell made his Major League debut on September 18th, 1982, starting the second game of a doubleheader against the Cardinals and matched up against veteran Jim Cott. Uh, he gave a very Walt Terrell performance. Well, you know, hot, low end, but uh, he went six and two-thirds innings, gave up eight hits, four earned runs, four walks, four strikeouts, taking the loss against the future that season World Series champions. He pitched better and deeper into the game, into the final two starts he made in 1982, but again on a really terrible team, went 0-3 for a team that finished 65-97. and Terrell started 1983 in AAA, going 10-1 and uh, for Tidewater. Uh, the uh, advanced stats, not as impressive, but still a you know pretty impressive performance for a team that was trying to build its young pitching as the cornerstone uh, upon which it would build a future contender, contender. And he got the call back up to Shea, to Queens for good, in June of 1983. Over his first 10 appearances in 1983, nine of them starts, uh, Terrell went two and four, with a 4.62 ERA. His start on July 31st of 1983 was the worst of his career. He didn't record an out, uh, surrounding four runs, uh, obviously allowing four batters to reach base before getting a pretty quick hook. Uh, Fun side note, the team would rally to win that game in 12 innings after four innings of scoreless relief from Jesse Orozco. Uh, The team was terrible, not going anywhere yet, uh, and clearly wanting to develop its young talent, but uh, you had to think Terrell maybe was in some danger of losing his rotation spot with the slow start and the quick hook from the manager in that game. But wouldn't you know it, Terrell would bounce back in spades in his following start on the mound and at the plate. So August 6th of 1983, uh, Terrell, the Mets were in Wrigley Field, and Terrell was matched up against future Hall of Famer Ferguson Jenkins. In the last season of his career, but still, uh, Fergie entered the day with 281 career wins to Walt Terrell's two. Uh, but if you think Syndergaard's little league win was impressive, uh, Terrell really did it all on this day. Uh, with the game scoreless entering the top of the third, leadoff man and eighth place hitter Ron Hodges singled to right. Uh, according to Terrell, interviewed years later about the game, I was supposed to bunt the first pitch but took it for a ball. Stepped out to look at his third base coach, uh, future Met manager Bobby Valentine, uh, who was supposed to give him a sign and gave him no sign whatsoever. Terrell said he looked again, 
and Valentine gave no sign. He just gave me a look that seemed to say, swing, stupid. And, you know, let's face it, we all, a lot of us Met fans think Bobby V is a bit of a savant, don't we? And apparently there that Bobby V knew something, because Walt Terrell, to that point, 0 for 14 in his Major League batting career with eight strikeouts, hit the next pitch the other way, over the Ivy in left in Wrigley Field and into that little basket uh, where for his first career home run. Uh, Terrell, of course, got the silent treatment when he got back to the dugout before getting mobbed as he gave the Mets a 2-0 lead with his first career home run. Mets got a couple of other men on in that inning but failed to score, but did push the order down a bit. Uh, Then Terrell came out and shut down the Cubs in the bottom of the third. So the Cubs, the Mets still had the Cubs 2-0 in the fourth, Uh, With a man on second and two outs, uh, Terrell came to the plate again, and there was no chance of a bunt sign this time, given the the outs and the man on second. And against future Hall of Famer Ferguson Jenkins, Walt Terrell went oppo again, this one quite deep into the left field bleachers. And according to Terrell, one of his college baseball teammates caught the second home run ball. Uh, I don't know if that means it didn't get thrown back onto the field in Wrigley or if his college teammate got shamed or booed into throwing it back, but I uh, thought that was a fun, interesting anecdote. I'd like to think uh, it didn't get tossed back onto the field. Terrell looked to be on his way to a 4 nothing two-home run, uber-little-league all-star game, uh, but he tired in the eighth inning, surrendering a walk, a single, and a sacrifice fly to another future Hall of Famer, Ryan Sandberg. Uh, so Carlos Diaz came on to get the final five outs and the save, uh, giving Walt Terrell his third career win and an incredibly memorable one. Uh, Terrell became the first Met pitcher that day to hit two home runs in a game, the first major league pitcher to do it in nearly five years as well. Uh, Terrell wasn't done, starting to look like a Nice piece of the Mets' future, though. Uh, Terrell and Jenkins would match up again back at Shea Stadium five days later. Uh, sadly, he would go 0 for 3 at the plate, uh, but he did throw his first career shutout to best the future Hall of Famer once again in a 2 nothing Mets win. And, oh, by the way, two starts later in San Diego, Terrell would throw another complete game, <clears throat> going 3-for-4 at the plate with his third home run of the season. This one, a three-run bomb. Uh, he finished that game with a at that time with a 600 slugging percentage and an 831 OPS at that point in the season. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family 
No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Terrell's hot streak at the plate subsided, so he did finish the year with three home runs on the season, which tied the one and only franchise, Tom Seaver, in 1972 for the most home runs by a Met pitcher in a season. That is a mark that still stands, and given the, tr- the possible trend of the universal DH, may forever stand. Oh, and oh, his pitching. Uh, yeah, that too. Well, he did scuffle a bit after that San Diego complete game, uh, but he closed the season with another complete game shutout. And for the 1983 season, Terrell made 20 starts. He went 8-8 eight eight with a 3.57 ERA, 102 ERA+, plus, so about league average, you know, and obviously not a stat that was really used in 1983. Uh, also a, you know, rough 55-walk to 59 strikeout ratio. Terrell was never a strikeout guy, but especially by the metrics of the time, at 25, he looked like a piece. Uh, probably not the biggest one, but still an element of the young core uh, Frank Cashin pointed to in convincing the world and convincing the fans, convincing veteran Keith Hernandez that the team had a future and that uh, everyone should be invested and excited about it. And in 1984, when the team would make a dramatic turnaround in the standings, Terrell would be a core member of a rotation featuring 23-year-old Ron Darling, 19-year-old Doc Gooden, eventually later in the year, 21-year-old Sid Fernandez, and Terrell, at age 26, was, you know, in his second full season, perhaps a bit of an elder statesman on the staff, uh, going 11 and 12 with a 3.52 ERA in 215 innings. Again, an almost perfect average 101 ERA plus. Getting real Rick Porcello vibes here from Walt Terrell as I think about it. At any rate, Terrell looked like a piece of that core, you know, a third or fourth starter, perhaps, but uh, young pitching was the team's calling card and what they seemed to be building upon. But in that 1984 offseason, the recently acquired Ray Knight underwent arthroscopic surgery on his right shoulder, and the Mets were concerned enough and interested in acquiring another potential power bat to trade Terrell straight up to the defending champion Detroit Tigers in the 1984 offseason to acquire Howard Johnson. The second trade didn't come as a surprise to either player at the time. Uh, Hojo noted, I respect Sparky, but I was platooned a lot. Now I'm coming to a young team and have a chance to play. It would take Hojo a few years to play or to shake that platoon label, but eventually he did. And meanwhile, Terrell, uh, at 26 at the time, expressed enjoyed his time with the Mets, but didn't mind moving, uh, saying that he liked the Mets. I really didn't want to leave, but I had a feeling I might be going with Ray Knight needing surgery. I knew they'd need another third baseman, and they'd have to give up pitching to get one. Mets are in a position where they've got Dwight Gooden and Ronnie Darling. I figured I'd be the one to go. And go he did. And there's a quite the fortuitous trade for Hojo, I guess, who would go on to win his second ring in three years as a New York Met, while Terrell would miss out on the World Series by a season or so in each stop, uh, arriving in Detroit too late and leaving the Mets too early. Uh, acquiring Ron Darling and acquiring Howard Johnson are definitely two huge seismic moves in team history, and Terrell was a piece of both, and 
uh, I feel like quickly forgotten by Met fans, and probably just a factor of the team's success. I mean, you know, if Edwin saved 50 games last year and we won the World Series, uh, people wouldn't be so upset about what we gave up. Uh, not that it's quite reached the majors yet, but you know. But seriously, uh, the, the success of the Met, that Met team in general in the late 80s, and the pitching staff in particular, made it seem like a logical trade at the time that uh, actually didn't look like, uh, probably didn't look like a successful trade at first, but it became more impressive over time as Hojo blossomed into a star. Uh, but Terrell actually was more successful than Hojo, you'd have to say off the bat, and he was pretty solid as a Detroit Tiger for a number of years after he left the Mets. Uh, from 1985 to 1988, he pitched over 200 innings each season, uh, 1985 being his best season, uh, 15 and 10 with a 3.85 ERA as a Tiger. Uh, and the reason I said that his two home run game might not have been the game of his career is that in 1986, he came one out away from making baseball history against the then California Angels at Tiger Stadium. On August 20th, 1986, Terrell had a no-hitter broken up uh, by, with two outs in the ninth inning by a Wally Joyner double down the right field line. Uh, just missing out on a no-hitter, uh, he retired Reggie Jackson, the next batter, on a flyout to end the one-hit shutout. And in another baseball history footnote of a different sort in his very next start, uh, Walt Terrell surrendered the very first of Mark McGuire's 583 career home runs, that on August 25th, 1986. Of course, unlike 85, when they came up just a bit short, the Mets did not miss Walt Terrell much at all in 1986. He had a career-best 17 wins in 1987 as the Tigers uh, tracked down the Toronto Blue Jays to win the 1987 American League pennant. Uh, the only postseason appearance of his career was a start in Game 3. He got a no decision, struggled badly against the Twins, surrendering six runs and in six innings of Game 3 of the ALCS. Uh, the Tigers would actually come back to win that game and take a 2-1 lead, putting them one game away from the World Series, but the Twins would rally, take the last two games, and Terrell would never see the World Series or never again see postseason play. Speaking of memorable trades, I was looking at the results of that 87 ALCS, and uh, Doyle Alexander, who the Tigers picked up down the stretch that year, lost Games 1 and Game 5, uh, Game 1 and 5 of that ALCS. Of course, very famously, the Tigers traded John Smoltz for Alexander, who, who did pitch well down the stretch and helped them win the pennant that year. I actually, uh, that was a very memorable trade for me because I saw John Smoltz pitch in AA Glens Falls in upstate New York that year, and he was incredibly wild, but they, they knew he was a huge prospect, and I feel like that and the Jeff Bagwell trade are probably two that are really memorable for uh, notable prospects get, being given up for you know, veteran help down the stretch that uh, didn't exactly pan out as planned. But the Mets trades for and of Walt Terrell did, did work out well for, on their behalf for sure. Uh, even though Terrell was a serviceable, never a star pitcher, uh, generally he, when he was acquired, the Tigers said they wanted him to be his, their third starter behind Jack Morris and Dan Petrie, and he was their third starter, as evidenced by starting that game three of the series. And Hojo was so good and so memorable 
uh, and beloved as a Met. I probably wouldn't do that trade over, but even though Terrell wasn't very exciting, uh, given the injuries, the suspensions, the you can never have enough starting pitching, in retrospect, you probably could make a case that the Mets could have used the steadiness of 200 innings a year of Walt Terrell on a couple of those late 80s seasons, and you know maybe they, they would have plucked another division title in there in 85 or 87 or 89 uh, well, when they were scrambling to replace injured starters or or starters who were suspended, like uh, Gooden for the 87 season at the start. But we'll never know, and we'll always at least have that two-home-run game and a memorable, successful 80s run without Walt Terrell. After he left the Tigers, he became more of a journeyman, struggling almost immediately upon his trade to the San Diego Padres. He latched on with the Yankees and then the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, before being released by the Pirates in the middle of the 1990 season, and he came back to Detroit, which I guess would, even though he started his career with the Mets, would really be his home team, uh, finishing his career where he uh, excelled the most. And he actually had a solid uh, late career 1991 season as a Tiger, uh, before returning again and struggling very badly in 1992 and hanging it up after that 1992 season, and calling it a career. For that career, Walt Terrell won 111 games against 124 losses, recording a 4.22 ERA, over 294 games started, 321 total games. He pitched 1,986, 1986 and two-thirds innings, uh, struck out 929, recorded a whip of 1.429, good for a career ERA plus of 93, a little below average, but he did record a war, according to baseball reference, of 10.7 over the course of his career. As a New York Met over parts of three seasons, Terrell was 19-23 and 23, with a 3.53 ERA over 56 starts, uh, 102 ERA plus, and he recorded four of that war as a starter for the New York Mets. Of course, those are only his contributions as a pitcher. He was 23 for 192 as a hitter. Uh, he, his career uh, slash line, 129 batting average, 143 on base, uh, 226 slugging for 369 OPS. So, uh, those home runs were indeed an anomaly, uh, an interesting little hot stretch with the bat for a pitcher, and an incredibly memorable day at the plate uh, for a New York Met pitcher f from Walt Terrell. May not have thrown a fastball like Noah Syndergaard, but he had a day at the plate like Noah Syndergaard at least. And for that, and for many other reasons, Walt Terrell is truly unformidable. I always like to wrap up with a bit of a where are they now, but I really couldn't find much about what Walt Terrell's doing. The last anecdote I saw was that he was a baseball coach at a high school uh, near his hometown in Kentucky, uh, but that was... Uh, the, actually, the last update was about his making the Cape Cod League Hall of Fame, which I think was in 2003, and that's when he was a high school coach. So I don't know if that's still true, and I don't know where Walt Terrell is now. But, but he is alive at the age of 62, and I hope hail and hearty, and 
like all players, we cherish his contributions to the orange and blue. Thank you for listening to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Mets-related content. Uh, you can follow Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find this and all of our truly amazing pods wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, leave us a review. It really helps. Original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, W-O-L-F-F-R-R, and the show is at Unformidable. Thank you, and as always, let's go Mets!